Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. And the music kicks in, and we're off and rolling. Nick Mulvaney, former White House Chief of Staff, South Carolina Congressman, White House Budget Director, Special envoy to Northern Ireland. And all around good guy. All around good guy. <laughs> Boy, we have every time you you come in, I, I say oh, we we've got to get right to it. We've got so much to talk about. You're always in such a hurry. You well, should enjoy this theater of the mind that you create every Monday morning. But I want to get to as many things as we can. There we go. So uh, you know, uh, not to mention the fact that, uh, or to mention the fact that Friday and Saturday night, uh, you are at a uh, an event in Florida that we should probably start with because people are talking about the the GOP presidential race, even though we're this far out. I mean, August is the first debate, so uh, you know this is uh, we, we we sort of joke like, ha ha, it's really early in the process. Actually, no, it's not. It it is and it isn't. August is still really, really a long time out. August is what six months. I remember when um, I worked with Rick Perry in two thousand and twelve. I guess he was sort of late to the race, and he didn't announce until late August. Most of the other folks were already in the race, and one of the reasons he got in was that no one was really catching fire, and he was getting that attention. We could talk about this with Ron. Getting the attention, will he run, won't he run? He was the biggest name not yet in the race, so he got all this free media about you know whether or not he would commit to running for president. Um, but and that was a little bit late. It's not really that's you could still do it in August or September, which is not you know it's still six or seven months off. Well, there's the I mean they've just said that they are going to have the our, the Republican debate in um, Wisconsin in August. Would everybody have to say I am running by August? If I mean of course if they want to participate, but is it a bad move not to be part of something like that? No, I mean at that point, my guess is everybody who's in will be in by August. But if there's a big name that's not in in August, that doesn't mean they're out of it, if that makes any sense. You're probably going to see everybody at the dais. But there's also some value to, say you're a Ron DeSantis, we'll just pick him out. I'm not saying I have any inside information on what he's going to do or not going to do. But if you're Ron DeSantis, you might get as much attention by not showing up as you do by showing up, especially you know if you're on a stage with 24 other people. Um, or they have the kiddie table like they had back in 2016 before they had the adult table. You know, you never know how yeah. these things are going are gonna to shape up. So, yeah, you're right. It's free media. Um, you want Generally, you want to do that. You want to be on the stage. You want people to see you. Um, but if you're getting all of the free media, you can take someplace else. If you're on Fox News every single night, for example, in August, um, could be hurricane season in Florida. And, you know, maybe you stay home in Florida and you get your, you get your FaceTime on TV that way. So you never know. Uh, I think... Generally speaking, you would expect people to be in by August, but if there's a big name not in by August, that doesn't mean that person is out. So you were at an event in Florida. Tell us about this event. I was. I went down uh, to see Ron um, and Casey, uh, and his wife is absolutely fabulous. Um, and uh, they did uh, the type of thing that governors do, sitting politicians do. They had sort of a, a donor get-together to talk about policies, to talk about what their plans are on a policy standpoint, not on politics. Didn't even The word president never came out of his mouth the whole time. He talked about you know, how they won the election, sort of a debrief of what had gone right in the first four years of the DeSantis administration and a, a sort of a, an introduction to the, what they wanted to do in the next four years of the uh, of the DeSantis administration. So it was very much a gubernatorial thing. But you could not help but sit there. And I know everybody else was sitting there, you know, thinking the same thing in the back of their heads is this guy looks really presidential. And she was fabulous. Casey was great. She did an hour 
on the programs that she's been doing um, in outreach to uh, to under, under underprivileged parts of the community, stuff she's doing in the Hispanic community, her Million Mamas effort that she put forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fabulous. I mean, they made a very compelling couple uh, as the first, you know, the, the governor and the first lady of Florida. And it, you cannot help but watch that and go, oh, you know what? He'd be a good president, and she'd be a great first lady. So it's sort of a it's a campaign thing without being a campaign thing. It's it's not at all unusual. Well, and they seem to like each other, which is incredibly helpful. It does, and and that comes across. So in fact, uh, I had to laugh because I was talking to Casey. Of course, everybody rushes to Ron afterwards because they want to get FaceTime with the governor. And I, I'm sitting there talking to Casey, and she was just excited because it was date night. They have three kids <laughs> under the age of six. And it was like the only time they've been out after nine o'clock at night without, you know, a babysitter or something like that. You get so to have was, adult conversations. Yeah, yeah no, and... she, they, they were, they were, you know, we were, was at a fancy hotel in, in Palm Beach. They had a, they had a date weekend. It was lovely. Three kids under the age of six. Yeah. So uh, just imagine he gets to the White House. Can you imagine that scene? If he if he were to be elected to have three kids under the age of six, it was a great story. He, they were um, their youngest is the first child born in the governor's mansion, or while somebody's in the government's governor's mansion in Florida for like sixty years. It'll be a uh, reminiscent of JFK. Right. Having the young uh, John Kennedy Jr. underneath the, the presidential desk and having small children in the in the White House. Again, they made a very compelling case for without campaigning. They made it. It was a very compelling campaign style event. That makes sense. Which is the mode he's in right now. I mean, yeah. uh, he was on Fox last night and he did a one on one with Mark Levin and they talked for about 20 minutes. Now, you would think if somebody sat down right now with Ron DeSantis for 20 uninterrupted minutes, one on one, then somewhere in there, there'd be a question about. Are you going to run for president? But it, it was not in there. Now, he has a book, Ron DeSantis does, called The Courage to Be Free, which he is releasing tomorrow. So he's going to be on a book tour. But he's doing this thing right now where he's in this mode where he knows the question everybody wants to ask him. But uh, he's doing his best to, yeah. to, to talk about everything but that. And, you know, every politician puts out a book where they're running. And I, I get all that. That's why Nikki Haley's done a couple of times. Tim Scott's done it. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of folks Christy do Nome it. Christy did it. Did she? So, mm-hmm. But I actually, I, Mike asked, Pence. I asked Ron, I said, listen, I got to ask you a question. He says, what's that? I said, how much did you actually write? And without missing a beat, he said, I wrote it all. He said, they edited it. But he goes, I actually, I would sit down at night. And I wrote from about 11 o'clock at night to 1 o'clock in the morning after, you know, Casey went to bed. And I, I knocked it out in about six months. So I'm actually, you know, I know Ron and I don't read political books. I'm curious about the book because I want to see how he writes. And so I'm, and I'm looking forward to actually reading that one, which I never say about politicians. books. And that same question came up when he was talking to... Uh to Levin about writing the book. And Did it really? A, and he made a point to say, yeah. I actually write these because people may not realize that most of the time, people, you know, the people don't. There's right. a ghost writer. ghost writers. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk in the next segment about whether or not he, you know, if he does run, when does he have to do it or is he better off waiting? But this is sort of an example of why you're just better off waiting sometimes. If you're going to be on Fox News anyway and 80 percent of Republican primary voters are watching Fox News, what benefit do you have by going and announcing right now? If you get that type of exposure... You know, Nikki Haley wants it because Nikki Haley doesn't have a way to get on Fox News because she's not a sitting governor, right? She can get on there every now and then, maybe on a topic of Ukraine or something overseas that ties to her time at the U.N. or something like that. But Ron DeSantis and a small handful of others have got this ready-made avenue to speak to the Republican primary voters almost every night without announcing anything. So why change that? Well, to your point earlier, and Beth's as well, this is is where you get to— what tier of a candidate are you? Right. Because if you're like a, and I don't know exactly where Tim Scott would fall, but if you're somebody who can't get on Fox News anytime they want to and is not a household name, it behooves you to get in the conveyor belt now because you want to get on that first table, not the kids' table. Because if you if you're a lesser known candidate and you're not at the kid, you're not at the main table, then you're 
behind the eight ball already with that with that August debate, right? And we'll talk about Asa Hutchinson and candidates like that in the next segment. News Talk 1110 WBT. Bo and Beth here on a Monday. Mick Mulvaney in the house as well. We're talking about Ron DeSantis. You were at an event with Ron DeSantis or for Ron DeSantis on Friday and Saturday in, yeah. in FLA. Yeah, it was uh, in, in Palm Beach. Good event. Very well attended. Was, uh, was impressed with a group of folks that were there. A couple of elected officials. Uh, a, more than a couple of very high-profile Trump donors. Um, oh. And, of course, Ron is the governor of Florida. So it, it, just because you're at a Ron DeSantis event doesn't mean you're, you know, not for Trump. You could be for Trump for president and for Ron DeSantis for governor. But um, it was noteworthy. I thought they had some, some big-name Republican donors to Trump show up at the DeSantis thing. And they weren't shy. They would ask questions. They talked to people. It's not like they were sort of hiding in the back. So um, they, it, it's been reported now that these folks were there. And, it's, uh, I, again, it's a weird situation because he's a sitting governor of, mm-hmm. of the state where he was in. And uh, it's a completely appropriate event to to do when you're the governor, regardless of whether or not you're running for president. Well, in last segment, we were talking about him not announcing yet that he's running for president. Isn't there something for the voters, the people in Florida who and these some of these political donors who supported him as he ran for governor of Florida to not just get elected in November and then suddenly start running for president? And, and because doesn't that make you seem like you're avoiding the job that you just were hired by the people to do? Eh, I think if it's your first term, the answer to that is probably yes. Um, like, I, if you're, I, like if you're Glenn Youngkin? Yeah, uh, who I think I'm meeting with this afternoon, as a matter of fact. Um, so that would be an interesting conversation. But um, on, on Ron, you know, he's done a really good job. It's, 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 it's out in the ether, right? Is he going to mm-hmm. run for president? So it's, it's, you're not gonna, it's, it's not going to help you. It's not going to hurt you be governor. It's, 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 it's just there, right? And look at the polling out of Florida. I mean, there's been polls in Florida in a hypothetical race between DeSantis and Trump, and DeSantis is beating Trump in Florida. Um, I just think if you've got to, if you're if you're a, a, a Republican in a state and you really like your governor, and more importantly, you think your governor is really good at the job, why wouldn't you want that person to be president? We, we used to do this all the time. We used to pick governors mm-hmm. uh, from big, important states to, to lead the country. It was sort of the way we did never pick senators. I mean, you know, we pick, took a couple of celebrities, but not very many. It was ordinarily governors. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that the folks who just elected DeSantis to governor are also saying, yeah, we think he's done such a good job. That's why we voted for him in 2022. And it's why we'll vote for him for president if, if he wants to run in 2024. So DeSantis is on a book tour now of sorts. Uh, DeSantis is answering every question but the money question that everybody wants to hear. Are you or are you not running for president? Or at least he's not giving you a definitive answer to that question. It gets thrown at him all the time. But, uh, for example, he was on Fox last night with Mark Levin. And here's an example of one of the questions uh, that that he was answering. This uh, was about uh, you went to Harvard uh, and you came out a conservative anyway. (laughs) Well, I talk in the book about, so I grew up in a town called Dunedin, Florida, which is in the Tampa, St. Petersburg area. My parents, my my father's from western Pennsylvania, my mother's from northeastern Ohio. So that is like steel country, that is like blue collar, salt of the earth. And as you know, Mark, Florida is very eclectic. People kind of come from all over. We do have a culture. uh, And so I grew up in that culture. But really, it was kind of those Rust Belt values that, 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 that raised me. I get to Yale 
I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't even know colleges were liberal. I mean, I was like 18 years old. I show up my first day, and in Florida, we would wear things like jean shorts, flip-flops, and a t-shirt. So I show up my first day wearing that, and you've got kids from Andover and Groton, and I was a fish out of water, uh, and it was a major, major culture shock. I wasn't like a refined conservative in terms of politics, because I was mostly into sports and things like that. But you start sitting in some of these classrooms, and even though one of Yale's mottos is for God, for country, for Yale, sit in the classroom attacking religion, attacking God, attacking the United States. I'm sitting in class and they're saying that the U.S. was to blame for the Cold War, not, not Joseph Stalin. So this is the, and I had never experienced that because growing up in Dunedin, I didn't know if people were Republican or Democrat. You know, you had both of them, but, but everyone kind of believed in the core American principles. And so that was my exposure uh, to the left. And I think what it did for me was it was so different from what I thought what was appropriate that I wasn't influenced by it in terms of it pulling me in that direction. I rebelled the other way. So by the time I got through college and law school, um, you know, I was definitely set. Uh, although when I was running for Congress, I kind of tell the story in the book. I was green. I had never run before. You know, I had a, kind of an impressive resume. I had served in Iraq and done things. So there were things that conservative primary voters would like. But, you know, you see Yale and Harvard, that is like people say, you know, liberal elitist stuff. And so the question was, how do I prove that I am actually mean what I say? And I was like, listen, how many people that you know go up to Washington, they say they're going to do these things, and then the swamp co-ops them, and they end up not falling principle? Well, listen, look at me. I got through Yale and Harvard and came out more conservative than when I went in. The swamp's going to have nothing on that, and they appreciated that. So my point is, is that he's doing these interviews, which sort of give you uh, more color and more background mm -hmm. as to the, the, the profile he's wanting to build out there. Yeah, that's a biographical background, not to the extent Ron needs it because he's such a high-profile person anyway, but you want to talk, let people know who you are so that yeah, people know Ron DeSantis. They know he's the governor of Florida. If you're watching the Mark Levin show, you know who Ron DeSantis is, mm -hmm. but you don't know that story. Yeah. So now you listen to that story and go, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. Well, and he slid a little hint in there because he said the people go to Washington. Yeah. And well, but they... he's already done that. That's, you, can do, you can cut both ways because yeah. he went to Washington. Right. By the way, he got more conservative when he was in Washington, too. So, I mean, that, 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 that's interesting to, to see that. By the way, I can't help but thinking two things about that clip. Number one, he talked about sports. Uh, and that when I did talk to Ron at the event on, uh, on uh, this weekend, you know, we talked about politics for about 30 seconds and then talked golf for the next 10 because mm -hmm. that's just what he likes to do. Uh, and the other one was the part about going to, to Yale. And he's like 10 years younger than I am. I think Ron's in his mid-40s maybe. Um, and college wasn't that bad when I was there. When I went to Georgetown, it was a fairly conservative place. I was there. In fact, Ronald Reagan was still president when I was in college. So it was a fairly – my college, which is now disgustingly left-wing – was pretty centrist, center-right back then, and that's a difference in the generations. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, here's the deal. Today we have Mulvaney Music Trivia, and it does not come from me and does not come from Mick. That leaves one person. We've got no chance. None. <laughs> I've been uh, twiddling my fingers over here, just waiting. And uh, our one music trivia fan is actually texting me. He's scared to death. Yeah, he probably should be. Chuck Boozer probably does not know many show tunes. Although, who knows? You know, he's a, he's a multifaceted he kind of is. guy. He might know show tunes. When Beth sends me devil emojis the night before, <laughs> then, uh, you know, she's up to something. I don't, I don't believe 
Beth has the devil emoji. Well, they were, they were not red. Sure. They, were, they were the purple smiley yeah. devil yeah, okay, emoji. Of course. Smiley. Yeah. Purple That's smiley a, devils. There you uh, go. They were created specifically for Beth Troutman. That's exactly right. We've been talking about getting to this poll, 2024 Republican nominee preference among Republican primary voters. We've been promising this, and now we're going to pay off. At least I think. Yes, we're going to pay. You, you've got the numbers. <laughs> I right have them. Okay. I have them up. This is a 2024 Republican nominee preference among Republican primary voters, as Bo just said. Donald Trump at 43 percent and coming in second, not even really close. Ron DeSantis at 28 percent. Nikki Haley at seven. Mike Pence at seven. Greg Abbott at two. And then Liz Cheney is, is added in that list at two percent. But I, when I saw these numbers come through, it made me think of our conversation last week where when we were talking about Nikki Haley throwing her hat in the ring and Donald Trump saying, giving his blessing basically in a phone call to her and admitting that he did. And you said that's strategic because the more people who are in that race that dilutes those votes. He doesn't need a majority. He just needs his base to get out and vote. And that's exactly what these numbers are showing. Yeah, the critical number in that, in that list that you just read down was the first one, Trump at 43 percent. That's his number, right? What that means is that there's, you know, what is it, 57 percent of folks who are willing to not vote for Donald Trump. Now, it happens that that 57, am I doing my math right? Yes, 57 percent is divided amongst the other six or eight or 20 people. But the 43 number is his number. And if I run against you and I get 43 percent, I lose every single time. But if I run against everybody in the studio, I win. And since our primary system is basically winner take all, that's why I say that Donald Trump is the, the likely Republican nominee, because there's no way for the Republicans to clear the field. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I do TV overseas, right? And the, the Australians and the Brits are just stunned by this because their parties are a lot more active and proactive in picking their candidates than we are. And they're just stunned that there's no way to sort of either prevent Trump from running. That's the first question they ask. And then is, it, well, is there no way to sort of do a unified opposition to Trump? I'm like, no, anybody who wants to run can run. They're, they're just flabbergasted by that. As long as you get those five or six people in the race, Donald Trump is going to win. Uh, John Sununu, I think it's John Sununu. I know it's a Sununu. I can't remember if that's his first name or not. The governor of New Hampshire was on Fox last week. And they asked him, he said, look, if you get in the race, are you not just helping Donald Trump? He says, look, it's not the number of people who get in the race. I think it's Chris. Is it Chris Sununu? Yeah. yeah. John is his dad, right? Um, Chris yeah. is the one. Chris is actually listed in this okay. survey. So it's not, it's not how many people get in the race. It's how quickly the people who don't have a chance get out of the race. Mm. And there's a certain, there's a certain uh, truth to that, that if you get 2% in Iowa and New Hampshire, why are you sticking around? And that was the point he was trying to make. And, of course, they asked him, so if you do 2%, are you dropping out? And he said, well, I'm not running yet. Well, we asked, uh, we were talking to Winterbull about this same poll. And he said, uh, if Ron DeSantis declares, then that 28% shoots up a bit. I think so. I, I think the value of that poll is who's voting for Trump and who's willing to vote for somebody else. That's how I, that's how I look at it. Because this 7% that is voting for Nikki Haley is not voting for Nikki Haley instead of Donald Trump. They're voting for Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley instead of Ron DeSantis. And that goes back to the conversation we had last week about the value to Trump of mm-hmm. Nikki getting in the race. Right. There, was a, there had been a poll out previously that showed Trump losing to DeSantis head to head. But Trump beating DeSantis if Nikki Haley's in the race as, a, as, a, as another choice. Well, that was another part of the, the Fox News poll. They did another poll where they actually took Trump out of the, the polling. And when that happened, DeSantis came in at 42 percent. The next was Mike Pence at 23 percent. Nikki Haley was still at the same number. She was around 6 percent. That makes sense. And Pence is the sitting vice pre- was the sitting vice president. So that, that makes sense. His name ID is higher. You know, politicians, we always think our name ID is higher than it is. 
Um, Ron DeSantis has been on TV, you know, a lot, a lot in the last three years, okay? Mike Pence was the vice president of the United States for four years. Nikki Haley was the U.N. ambassador. We talked about the reasons, and you, Bo, you mentioned about the, sort of the top-level candidates and the second-level candidates, or, you know, one-and-a-half-level candidates. The reason that you'll see that those one-and-a-half and, and second-level candidates announce early is they need the attention. Mike Pence has a way to get on TV. He is a former president, vice president of the United States. Ron DeSantis is a sitting governor. Mm -hmm. Tim Scott, a sitting senator. So he can go on TV tonight if he wants to. They call up Fox and say, look, I want to talk about this. Then they'll take a sitting senator all day long. But the Nikki Haley's of the world really can't get on TV as easily as they could. The Aza Hutchinson's, who I don't know if his name was on the list or not, or the... The, the very last one. The, the Chris Sununu, right? They, they don't have a way to get on. They're not from a big state. They don't have that audience, so that they don't have the same way to drive up their name ID, which is why they get in earlier rather than late. Well, and I know Donald Trump broke every rule to this, but in traditional politics, you have the people that are in the pipeline to be in the pipeline and know, know knowing that they're shot to actually get within striking distance maybe several cycles off. I mean, you think about Bob Dole, you think about uh, John McCain, you think about Mitt Romney. All of those candidates were candidates that had been in the circulation beforehand. And so there's a there's a, a degree of these uh, names on this list that I think would even tell you, I got no shot this time, but you've got to get in that that conveyor belt of 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 reps, so to speak, so that when uh, the cycle comes four years, eight years, then you're higher on the list. Right. Take Pete Buttigieg, for yeah. example. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, is a mayor of what? South Bend, Indiana, town of, I don't know, 50,000 people, you know, size of Rock Hill. And he's running for president. But now he's in the cabinet. Right. Because what? I think he won Iowa or did really well in Iowa early on. Um, there's, a, there's a person with with no career in politics or at least no appreciable sort of visible path to higher office coming from as a small town uh, mayor, you run for president, you know, you roll the dice, you, you hit your number a couple of times, and all of a sudden now you're secretary of transportation, and he's talking about running for Senate in Michigan. Um, he's talking about running for president if, if Biden doesn't run. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's that ulterior motive. Is I don't have a chance to win, but I might be able to turn this into something. Uh, Huckabee, for example, turned it into right. a television career that's worth a lot of money. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of reasons for people who know they don't have a chance to win to run. Yeah, and uh, th there are any number of people we could mention uh, that break the, the I mean, Trump's one name, but Obama broke the mold, too. Yeah, but Trump, I, I still think Trump didn't think he was going to win. Trump was there to promote Trump television. He wanted to go into competition with Fox because he knew there was this huge market out there for another conservative outlet. I think he was doing it at the very beginning as a branding thing and sort of won by accident. We could talk about this when we come back, too. Does he want to be president this second time around, or is this more about I just want to, to go out a winner? That is a great question. Do we want to go down the road of music trivia when <laughs> Beth Troutman chooses no, a song? No, no, no. We need to figure out a way to run out the clock in the, in the last segment. Bob. Right, we've run it out on this segment, that's for sure. WPT. Oh, sir. I saw it. Some angry member of the kitchen staff. Did you not tip them? Oh, the terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. I'll get them, sir. Don't worry. Now, that's an example of a a bad run by fruiting. I got the greatest. It's kind of a drive-by fruiting, if yes. you will. This is a good drive-by fruiting. Um, we always have Mick Mulvaney on Mondays, but... 
every now and again, we get a special guest with Mick Mulvaney. We get his wife, Pam, in with us. And today she came in. Mick always brings in a cup of coffee from QT. And apparently a few weeks ago, actually it was probably a few hey, months Beth. ago. It's more than a gas station. It is more than a gas station. I hear. Well, now I know for sure because I made a reference to shopping for Kiwi at QT. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what we were talking about. On BT. On BT. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And Pam found Kiwi at the QT and brought me. It's actually not only Kiwi. It's Kiwi, strawberries, and mango. Fresh from the QT. It was a drive-by fruiting. It was a drive-by fruiting. <laughs> Well, that's what, awesome. She, the words of Crusty the Clown. What the hell was that? What did you just play? <laughs> that was Mrs. Doubtfire. You've never seen that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that in 1984. Yeah, well, that's why you have me. In fact, I haven't, I haven't thought about it since 1984. Uh, well, that's why you have me. This and is I, what you do late at night, isn't it? It's, just, I think about things like this. but I'm, you know, They yeah. drive by fruiting. Okay. And he's talking to uh, uh, oh, James Bond, Sterling and Sterling guy. What's the actor's name? Yeah, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan, thank you. I have a COVID hole in my brain where information goes to die. No, no, you're just getting to the point where it happens when we get older. Where names just don't yeah, exist anymore. You can't anymore. do names anymore. I'm glad oh, you guys both sir. have BT in your name because that's the only way I remember either of your names. Some angry member of the kitchen staff. Did you not tip them? Oh, the terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. I'll get them, sir. Don't worry. A run by fruiting. Oh, and Pierce Brosnan was so lovely in that movie. Trying to cancel that movie. We yeah. try, we're trying to run out the clock so we don't have to do this music. I know you guys it, right? are. Today's oh, yeah. Beth Troutman music. I, I'm not day. canceling that movie. People are trying to cancel that movie. Uh, but I, 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 I are they the, really? Why? Uh, because you know, geez, it's a it's a, a, a man dressed, dressed up as like a woman. woman. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay. Are we ready? Are we going to do this? I think we're ready, guys. Uh, you told you asked me last week if I would bring in music trivia, and I did. We I weren't s- really serious about that. Then. I know, but I do it anyway. All right. I give people what they want. Uh. <laughs> is this the first one? This is number one. I, I, have, I have no idea. Like, I can't phone a, thr- a friend. I'm phoning a friend. The hills are alive with the sound of something. <laughs> Griswold. <laughs> you might think beauty comes in spring and sparrow. <sighs> She's not going to get it either. I can tell by the look on her face. <laughs> All right. How many are there, Beth? There are five. There are five. There are five. Let's, so let's go to number that's two. That's number one. What, what was it, number one? That is the theme song from Kinky Boots. It's oh. called Price and Sons. Of course it is. Oh, Kinky Boots. We're supposed to go see that next time we're in Florida. Yeah. Kinky Boots. It's a hit. Oh, this is Circle of Life from The Lion King. Yes. Okay. Well done, Bo Thompson. got one. I got one. Wow. That's All it. right. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Number three, John Moore. This might be one of my favorite songs. For the girl that I knew who be reckless just in love who get hurt but who learns how to toughen up when she's bruised. It's gonna, called... I'm going to guess 50 Cent. <laughs> you mean 50, right? Is it 50 Fitty. Cent? Is that it? This is one of my favorite songs, Broadway or not Broadway. It's called She Used to Be Mine. It's from the Broadway musical Waitress. Of course it is. That was my second guess after 50 Cent. Oh, Pam's back there. I love Waitress. <laughs> you know, you and I could just leave, Bo, and let the ladies think this one. <laughs> All right, John Moore, number four. All right, here we go. Still impressed, Bo got <laughs> Don't anybody look at me. It's not Oasis. It's not... Uh... 
Oh. You do realize the only reason I got mine right is because it's from a Disney cartoon they made into a play. <laughs> um, I got nothing. This is called Rise Above. It is from Spider-Man, Turn I Off said, the Dark. I've, I, that's why I've heard this one. This was a Marvel, yes, I've heard this one before. And one more to go. Just say John Moore likes it, but I'm not sure he's completely sober. I don't know the song. This is Here Lies Love from the Broadway musical about to open, Here Lies Love. It's been off-Broadway, but about to... uh about to open. So I think I'm... Uh, so I'm, is there a theme to this? Or is there is just... a theme. Yes, oh, Bo and man. Mick don't know any of them. <laughs> you knew one of them. That's where I thought we were going because doing movies. Because I, I think like, Kinky Boots was being made into a movie and the like other one was... percent. Oh. What? Oh. She, he's, phoning oh. A, he's phoning a friend. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. Pam's giving a, a hint. I feel like Regis over here. They started as movies and went to Broadway. No, but that's actually a great guess. Um, I was trying to stick with the music trivia style theme all of these broadway musicals were written by pop stars kinky boots written by cindy lopper wow. circle of life was elton, elton john. john waitress sarah Bareilles. the music was composed by um by her is she, she a real person you're just making that no, up sarah Bareilles. yes she's huge She's got um, those lights uh, named after her in the wintertime, the Aurora Borealis. Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, written by Bono and The Edge. And then Here Lies Love, David Byrne and Fatboy Slim. So uh, usually, uh, <laughs> usually at the end of segments like this, I, I, I play this. But today, today I'm going to play this. <laughs> oh, come on, that was good. No, good for you, but bad for us. Oh, okay. By the way, I know who Fatboy Slim is. Do you? I do. Do you know who that is? Do I know who it is? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm just saying you're a little bit younger than I am. And I he wrote a Broadway was. musical, guys. Good for him. Wow. Yeah, you're going to leave a little fat boy slim? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bet Chuck Brewster will know that one. <laughs> Y'all have a good Monday. Back next week. Thanks to Mick Mulvaney. Mick, uh, Vince Coakley is next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.